If you've listened to a few episodes of this podcast, you might have figured out that I'm not a very respectful person at times, at least not right away. As opposed to operating under the assumption that respect is deserved, I tend to lean towards respect is not given until it's earned. I can't say it's been a successful life philosophy, but when it applies only to the second city model, it does have its advantages. That said, I have an incredible respect for our guest today, Craig Kukowski, and I have since before I had even met him. You see, the first improv show I ever saw was called Frank Booth in the Blue Velvet Lounge, and it was in the I.O. Cabaret. The casts were spread around the theater as if they were patrons at a bar, but the way the show moved from scene to scene was seamless, and I was honestly in disbelief that this 35 minutes of comedy could have been improvised. I actually asked the actors afterwards, I was like, you didn't make that up, did you? They said they did, and I still couldn't believe it. Now, Craig directed that show, and looking back, that was the actual moment when the magic of improv took a hold of me. Uh, but he was the director of that show, which I didn't know at the time. I didn't even know who he was. So I want to take this moment to thank you, Craig, for what you did to my life. Now, I know you're saying stop the intro. Nothing can top convincing Joe Canale to go full force into improv on a resume. But there is more for Craig. Now, I think you could make the statement, and I'm pretty confident because more than one person said this to me, that Craig is kind of the ultimate improviser's improviser. And I don't know many people who would argue about that. Now you're saying, yeah, no one would argue because what the hell is that? Well, I'll tell you. An improviser's improviser is someone who can entertain a random audience in an improv show on the comedy level, making them laugh, while also entertaining the cynical performers on hand with his consistency technique and listening. All things that are very impressive and things that the normal person might not notice. The respect that he has for the art form is palpable, and it raises the level of performance for everyone else on stage. All right, moving on. So, Craig, thank you for being on the show. Welcome, uh, and thank you for being a listener. Oh, man. Well, I've, uh, I've listened to every episode thus far and really, really enjoyed it. Uh, I was sweating through that introduction. Like, I wanted to see, having heard many of these podcasts, I wanted to see which character I am in the, uh, the long-running soap opera that is The Second City. And you got to Chicago 92? Yeah. Exactly. February 92 is when I got there. Okay. After going to William & Mary, which is kind of an improv uh, little hotbed, has sent a few people on to the Second City. I'll take credit for being the first. There you go. And, and, that's, and Second City has that too, where these colleges, again, th th that's where you see it, you know, in the 70s you had to get siblings, and not to say that siblings didn't still make it there, you, your family being an example, but it was like a Chicago locally thing. They had More of the performers came right from that era. That's the other thing. They started to get more, not international necessarily, and not even more, less white, but they were drawing from more parts of the country. So that's maybe the first step of Second City's integration, if you will, of not just chicago -y. And who else? Uh, Ali Davis... Well, I think me, Allie Davis, and Stuart Ranson were the first three, and then that kind of created a pipeline, and then later, uh, Brendan Dowling, Jenny Hagel, uh, Greg Hess. Oh, my uh, goodness. Sean Casey, Sean Monahan, uh, Todd Edwards, Martin Wilson. Uh, I'm again, sure I'm forgetting and, and again, numerous no, but people. Those but those are that's all people who've been through the, in the Chicago system. Joey Maybe. Bland? There you go. And many of those are people who worked at the Second City on stages or in touring companies. And again, that, that was also kind of indicative of the community. It was a collegiate graduate 
private schools or liberal arts schools, I should say, not private, state school, but liberal arts school people all con- congregating and sharing their reference levels in Chicago in a mostly, at the time, uh, homo- homogenous uh, kind of situation. And so you got to Chicago a little before, and again, I'd say 94, once the Improv Olympic had a theater, was a, uh, kind of a... a fo- uh, whatever, a spoke or something, a, a fulcrum in, in time on improv. So you were there a little bit before that. How did you discover, and did you move to Chicago for the reasons a lot of us did to do improv? Well, it seems from listening to the podcast, uh, you know, people are one or two categories. Either they are the Chicagoan native uh, who kind of grew up around Second City and like it was always kind of in the background of their lives. Mm-hmm. And then there's the people who deliberately made a pilgrimage to the the homeland of comedy to kind of worship at its altar. Yep. I was neither of those people. Although I did long form improv in college. I was in the college improv group, but I was also a theater major. I did Sam Shepard. Uh, Everybody Sh- at that time did. Sure. <laughs> Shakespeare. Sure. Arthur Miller, you know. Okay. And so I got a degree in theater from the College of William and Mary, and I moved to Chicago thinking that I was – I, I had comedy in the back of my mind, but I moved to Chicago having never heard of Del Close or Improv Olympic. Never Good. never heard of either of them. Uh, I definitely had a vague awareness of what Second City was. My friend Christopher Obenchain was in my college improv troupe, and he kind of motivated a lot of us to move to Chicago together because he had transferred to William & Mary from DePaul. And he's like, there's this place called the Second City. We all got to go there and take classes there. Everybody chickened out except for me. So Chris was my first roommate. He auditioned for the training center. I think the first week he was there, did not get in, and he gave up on Chicago by the by the end of the year. And so I was so daunted because he was so funny. And I'm like, well, if he can't get into the training center, then I don't know what I'm going to do. We did go to Second City the first night that I lived in Chicago. Do you remember, tell me about the show or what it you remember. It was Economy of Errors on the main stage with Ron West, Steve Carell, there were a couple of understudies in. I remember Mitch Rouse was in that night, but I don't think he was in the regular cast. Tim O'Malley, John Rubano, probably Fran Adams, uh, uh, Jill Talley, uh-huh. Michael McCarthy okay. was in it. Like, it was a great show, great cast, but I didn't, because it was so daunting, the the ticket price, which was probably 15 bucks sure, or whatever. Sure. Like Maybe I, even 12 then. It might have been as much as 12. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't uh, regularly go to Second City for the first three years that I lived in Chicago, like okay. maybe, uh, less than, less than 10 times total. But you did take classes? Never took classes. Didn't even take classes. No. Okay. So I was IO all the way. So did you start at IO instead as soon as you got to Chicago? How did yeah, you find out about a that couple, place? A couple weeks after I moved to Chicago, I was reading a Chicago Tribune article about the three major training centers in Chicago improv. And one was the second city, one was Players Workshop, and the other was uh, Improv Olympic, or as it was briefly called, Improv Olympia okay. uh, at the time. Yep. And I was like, well, they it says they do the Herald. I know the Herald from college. We did the Herald in college. How did you learn it in college? The... William & Mary Group had been founded in the mid-'80s by a group of students that learned uh, the basics of improv in one three-hour workshop from a group of uh, – somebody had a friend at Yale. So they learned from a group at Yale in a three-hour workshop. 
the people at Yale had learned in a three-hour workshop from Sharna. So what we were doing at William & Mary in the late 80s, early 90s, was handed down telephone line style from what Sharna was teaching in 1985 to one group of people in Yale, to one group of people in Williamsburg. And now five or six years later, you know, there's no, there's no internet, first of all. Sure. <laughs> that, right. That nobody un- other than, you know, acting. Yes. This is evolution at a, at a yeah. slower pace. There's no truth in comedy. No. So this is literally word of mouth. And we, they, I remember for the audition at William and Mary, uh, they would teach us the rules of improv, and then we'd start doing some scenes. So yeah. we mostly did short form games, but we we did a very rudimentary version of Harold. I mean, it's like basically having someone here when the Saints go marching in, and and explain <laughs> it to someone else. And then they explain it to someone else, and you're starting a jazz band based on their explanation <laughs> of that. Pretty close, you know. Yes. Well, it's like, dun, 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 you know, and you really want to jump to it. <laughs> okay, are we doing it this now? This is jazz. Yeah. This are we, is jazz. This song is, is jazz. Is this improv? Are we doing improv now? Yeah, I guess you are. <laughs> so, so interesting. So it's still, it's the seed of it was Sharna. Yeah. Amazing. She's yeah. everywhere. And but without the actual intention of that, despite having more experience than most people who probably started out doing it, you you just kind of were in Chicago to do the uh, you were thinking Goodman Steppenwolf someday. Maybe. Yeah. And I got into a show at Bailiwick uh, like right away, like seriously, as part of like their pride festival. It was called Comrades and Lovers. It was all about Walt Whitman and all of his young male lovers. And I'm like, this is it. Like I'm uh, I'm on stage. There's I mean, that's your wheelhouse. There's full frontal male nudity. Like (laughs) this is this is my future. (laughs) And again, I think I think like I'm a theater major, too. And I understand that there's this kind of like especially this young macho actor thing in the beginning. I I, I think. (laughs) That kind of takes hold. There's still the Marlon Brando yeah. type there's, archetype there. There's nothing more macho than caressing another man's naked buttock. Yeah. Well, <laughs> by, by macho, I mean latently homosexual. <laughs> That's what macho ultimately is. Sure. Uh, Again, yeah. Brando. Yes, Brando. There we go. <laughs> So, so but I, I, I lived at Clark and Belmont just by happenstance. Like that's the, uh, apartment that Chris got for us. Like he got there like a month before I did Clark and Bell right across from the Taco Bell or something. Uh, like literally right by Punkin' Donuts, you know, the alley. Oh yes. Um, we were upstairs from the occult oh, bookstore. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. I know exactly uh, where that was. I mean, it was, it was slightly seedy, and it was kind of like the like later finding out it was the cornerstone of the Chicago punk scene, you know, yes. that, that, that corner, literally. I mean, that's one of the crazy things about being in Chicago at that time of also, I mean, I was so improv and sketch focused, but of like it was an incredible time for music, especially because you had like Liz Fair and Smashing I, I, Pumpkins and Urge Overkill. And I live I, two blocks from Double Door, and I went there once. To see an annoyance show years later, <laughs> that that Susan was in that was being performed there. Yeah, yeah, and and then there's and I would go occasionally to like some straight theater, you know. But there were like for hardcore theater, like it was an incredible time too. Of like, I think Chicago that was a great decade for Chicago. You know, sports. How, yes, <laughs> you know how New York, you know, come came back. Uh, uh, what was it? The nineties with Giuliani. Uh, unusually, but you know, the, the city came back. I don't know that Chicago was ever in that kind of dire New York city situation, but I do feel like overall in the city, it was a, a time of prosperous of and exciting Absolutely. time. And you know, there was a, a lot of, uh, 
a buildup going on. You know, I, I still think like Chicago to this day is like the city that works better than any city in the in the U.S. The fire, awful tragedy. Uh, f- you know, from tragedies come you know innovation and everything, and it was very modern in its planning after that. And yeah, the transportation there is is I think unlike anything. Any big city, again, I always say Amsterdam is so easy to get around, but it's because it's, you know, it's like the loop yeah, in its size, the whole city. The grid system in Chicago, like, threw me off for any other city because it's so well designed, and you know exactly where you are uh, by an address. You know, you, you can, can see the address anybody. of, like, oh, 2387, that means it's just south of Fullerton. All you need to know is geometry to, to, know, <laughs> to get anywhere in Chicago. It really and 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 maybe that's a failing thing in America now, and that no longer is a, a common skill. But uh, yeah, it's so easy in that way. So, so again, uh, tell me how you get absorbed into the system, <laughs> the uh, the improv Olympic, the Borg, system. the Borg that is improv Olympic. So it at the time they were their classes were at the uh, were on School Street, like literally a block from my apartment. The they were performing at the Wrigley side later, Mullins, mm-hmm. right? Uh, just south of Wrigley Field, so like three blocks less than three blocks north of me on, yep. on Clark Street. So the proximity and the the fact of the Herald was the thing that attracted me. Yes. Then I was on a Herald team three weeks into level one, uh, and not because I was amazing, but because she needed warm bodies on stage right away. There was a lot of turnover. And I mean, I clearly I was like I was ahead of the game compared to other people in my class. I think only three of us like even like signed up for another a second level. Session. Yeah, right. there sure. was a lot of attrition going on. But Sharna was my level one. There was only three levels at the time. Level two uh, was uh, John Favreau or Kevin Dorf or uh, Miles Stroth had just started teaching at the time. So I signed up for Miles's level two. I think I took two classes with him, but then I was in that Walt Whitman naked butt play, uh, and I had to drop out. And Sharna was like, "Well, you can just go straight to Dell's class then." So I did level one with Sharna, two weeks with Miles, and then a year with Dell. So you were still when I got there on a team, but you were like the good teams would play maybe two shows on Saturday and two on Friday if it was missing. Uh, if it was Lost Yetis, Frank Booth. You were on, what was my, your team? My main team was Mr. Blonde. Uh, then I was also on, I was on Faulty Wiring for a bit. I was on a team called Wolf. Like, the, the longest running team I had was was Mr. Blonde, named after the, the Reservoir Dogs character. Wolf is the team Scoop got put on to save right at the end. Didn't work. <laughs> so he was there at the end of that team. Sure. He killed it. Uh, now... And again, very quickly, because I think you were in a touring company very shortly after, I think. Well, you tell me, you tell me, because at I.O. for a few years, you're directing, doing shows, doing the Armando show, which is, were you in the original cast? No, not quite. I was in the first group of people to join after the original cast, so like three months into the run. Sure. And, and again, we've mentioned the show a lot, and, you know, there's been a lot of kind of all-star improv shows. This was, in my mind... I know Jazz Freddy and what's the other one? Uh, not Grab. Uh, there was another. Well, named after somebody. Lois Kaz. That's or, it. Yeah, well, those preceded Armando. 
Yes. Yeah. Like, Jazz Freddy was the show when I moved to Chicago. That was so, the Armando like, of your time. Yeah. The two groups that influenced me the most were the family, former victims family, which would, had all my coaches. So like my first coaches were Adam McKay and Ian Roberts. Later, I met Besser. And then the, the classic lineup was those three guys, plus Ali Farinaki and Miles Stroth and Neil Flynn. Mm. Um, so they were the house team at I.O., and then Jazz Freddy, like, they booked a theater space, live bait, up the street, like at uh, Irving and uh, and Clark Street. And that was the people who had kind of moved on from I.O. at that time, which was like Pete Gardner, uh, Dave Koechner, Brian Stack, Dratch, uh, Miriam. So they weren't really performing shows there anymore. They weren't, they weren't performers at I.O. at that time. Right. Yeah, some right. of them were doing Second City. Like, some of them had just been hired in Torco. Like, yeah. Pat Finn, I think, was the first one. Uh, but yeah, so between those two groups and, you know, the, the family was definitely like the faster, edgier, you know, more experimental and thematic and, uh, jazz Freddie was more just like slow relationship scenes. So it's yeah. kind of like the, uh, the two sergeants in platoon, you know, Sergeant Elias and Sergeant Barnes of like the, uh, the good and the evil, you yes. know, the heart of darkness. And Absolutely. The, you know, and then the father figure that you're aspiring towards. So I, I kind of considered those two groups. Are sure. The, 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 the family, the more visceral aggro kind of one and, and uh, Jazz Freddy, the more intellectual considered yeah. and yeah. Because uh, UCB, both the sketch group and then the later the theater was born of the family. So. Yes, so those are the people you're watching. Yeah. And then Lois Kaz, I think, was the first example of long form that they'd, they'd tried to do at Second City, at least in the, the era that I was there. And that was, and that was a lot of the Jazz Freddy people. People, and, that was, and a few others. Uh, like picked, but, Adsit, who were yep. Second City, pure Second City people, but uh, that kind of mixed in. What an opportunity to get to watch them all the time and see what they're doing. That's all I'm doing is going to shows and watching those people, you know, and... Very few people are getting paid at this point. You know, hardly any of them are at Second City at the point where I'm watching them. Yep. So the the idea of Second City, it wasn't like, man, man that fucking sellout place. You know, it's, yes. it wasn't. I mean, some people were like that, certainly. But it was Besser. more like, yes, I'm sure. Uh, it was more like it was so unachievable. Like the idea and the people there seemed so old. They were probably in their mid Early to mid thirties, the people Mostly I was 30, watching. Yeah, thirty two, yeah. thirty one is really when you're getting hired there. I mean, if I'm seeing Ron in my first show, you know, he was probably thirty two. Yes, but, seemed, but Ron West has looked sixty three. Yeah. yeah, and and so it just seemed like that was a more professional atmosphere, and like we're we're doing something different here, and you know, there wasn't even. Uh, not only was there not a, a path to a career in show business that I could see, there wasn't even a path to the second, second city. city. And that's interesting because, again, not many years after that, my understanding was, you know, I, I again, you kind of throw yourself into improv at first with no plan, I don't think. But then it it became very apparent to me because of people like you and the other people you mentioned who were hired by Second City. And at that time, that kind of was the clearest path to Second City. It had, it had gone from being something that wasn't even on the radar, that it wasn't connected, to within a few years, because it was so popular and, and took over, that was your path to Second City. We all know the path is Chicago, I.O., Second City, SNL, megastardom. That's, That's it. <laughs> That's it. And so you and I are just SNL and then megastardom. Just uh, missing those last yes, two steps. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, 
And again, so we could go over the thousands of shows that you did before Second City, but did you like the, uh, did you have to audition a few times? Yeah, I got into my third try. And again, because I was not studying there, I would occasionally go to see a level five show. I occasionally someone would drag me to an improv set, but I really wasn't involved there. So the one thing I knew was that they dressed up there. So for some reason I had like this double breasted, ridiculous suit that I never wore for any occasion. And I wore it to, I think my second audition and Noah, you know, who later uh, became a good friend and was one of the auditors then was like, it was really strange when you wore a suit suit. And uh, this was, you know, this was also for the general auditions, which are just chaotic. Yes. And I think they're still doing like three through the door at the time. And like you're, you're up with crazies who have never improvised. And especially it's an open audition. Equity theaters in Chicago have to do an open audition they have once to a year. Do it. Yeah. So if you're slow and patient like me and kind of waiting for your spot, like you're not going to get a chance to uh, to speak. So my first two were, you know, no callback, like yeah. just humiliating. Uh, and so my third one, I, this would have been the er, early 95 was when I got in. Um, and I think there must have been a lot of movement at the time. And so they had a special audition, which is basically a straight to callback situation. So that was ideal for me because they're only bringing in about 30 people. And these are the best, you know, improvisers in town that have some sort of reputation. Yeah, the, the, the odds of getting just a total shit fire are very are reduced. Yeah. If they're not zero, but they're reduced. And at that point, I have people who have been coaches uh, or uh, or teachers or directors of mine that are involved there. You know, there's like uh, Pete Gardner and Noah, Jeff Richmond, McKay. Uh, so there's people that are maybe a little in my corner, even if the vast majority of people at Second City don't know who I am. And even if they are just knowing there's a few familiar faces in that room... Big, yeah. big difference. And and I thought Mick always, I don't think he was doing it at the time that you were auditioning then, but I thought in his his auditions, he did a great job of making everyone feel like he was that face in the, in the audition, which is for, if you know anything about Mick, it's, you know, one of the few times that he's actually, but you know, he was doing, he <laughs> he's was the good. friendly face. Well, yeah. but that was his job. Yeah. And so he may be a a, a, a prick in 99% of situations, but he's also good at his job almost every time. He runs a good room. So there you go. He knows how to run a room. Exactly. And I also remember, like, this one, I'm like, okay, I'm not going to fucking dress up for this one. Like, right, because you got, yes. I wore, you know, like, rolled out of bed. I wore torn jeans, you know, and a flannel. Uh, I I couldn't get a bus you know, uh, and I, I think I ended up like spring for a taxi. Like I missed the warm up and got there just as they're bringing my group in. And I you couldn't... improvise without a warm up? <laughs> Are you okay? I think I got one zop. That yeah, was okay, just good, one good. zop in. You got to stretch. <laughs> and but I could not have been like more relaxed or over it in a sense. And I think that like that's relaxed. And like, that's not a bad way through. to, co to yeah. also to come rushing in late. And have no time to even consider uh, to sit there and think about your audition. Because I think you pick up on everybody else's nervous energy too. Of yes. like, I just that's the worst thing about auditioning is being in a room with other nervous people. It's so true. You know, it's it so exacerbates true. everything. Yep. I, and I remember, like, I think it opened with conducted story, and I think uh, I think Kelly gave me uh, Jack Kerouac, you know, <laughs> and and I I think I read like 
maybe a quarter of On the Road, Me too. like when I was in college and gave up on it. Didn't like I just it. remembered the name Neil Cassidy from it. I think I just said Neil Cassidy at some point, and I saw Kelly kind of like nodding. Like, Jack Kerouac was kind of a predator, I think, uh, was what I got out of that <laughs> or book. Or Dean Moriarty, I think, was the, yeah, was the name I referenced. Uh, and so... And then we did a long form, and then we did a cold read. So, it, like, it could not have been better. And, like, you're in the room for 45 minutes. Nobody's going anywhere yep. soon. And I was just in my element. So that, yeah. that's, that's how I got in. Yeah. And, and, and again, it doesn't hurt to have auditioned a couple more times. Uh, uh, to, to, know, to know what not to do. And, and also to set the baseline, like, oh, he's better than what he was last time. <laughs> you know? I mean, ultimately, seeing progress is a good thing, too. Yeah. And, and... You got into this special audition. That's also nice, too, because I think when... And they they would do that, you know, because they had to do their annual audition, and any other ones were almost always kind of uh, by invitation. That should set your mind at ease a little bit, too. Maybe for some people it makes you a little more nervous or whatever, but being asked to audition kind of, I think, is a better place to be than just like, eh, just show up and see if they like it. It know? was, yeah. And so now you're... Did you go right into a tour co? No, I was a Torco understudy for about six months. Like, okay. I think they hired a group of seven of us to be Torco understudies. Yep. Rich Fulcher was another one that uh, got in at the same time as me. And then what you would do, you'd go at attend the rehearsals for the three Torcos, just kind of like to hang around, see what they're doing. And then occasionally, like, you might get thrown a job just by being there. Yep. And so me and Fulcher showed up for Green Co. rehearsal uh, and... And then in the middle of rehearsal, Dorf, uh, who was the one veteran member of Green Co., found out that he was going to understudy main stage later that week. Somebody got sick or whatever. And uh, Ann Libera was the director. And she's like, well, I guess it's either Rich or Craig. You guys want to flip a coin? And we literally flipped a coin. I won. I went in for Dorf. And then Dorf, because he was understudying a lot, missed a lot. It meant I went in a lot for Green Co. When Dorf left, I got his slot. Just because you were practically there. It might have come down to a coin flip. Well, I, in funny. another life, I might be big in, uh, in the England, UK. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> like Fulcher is. Fulcher, to me, strikes me as more of a British humor guy than you. I mean, not that you're incapable of it. You've got some Math Matthew Barry in you. But, uh, uh, yeah, Fulcher is... Imagining Fulcher in those roles is kind of hilarious to me. I mean, he might be too much of a unicorn to really imagine him at Second City. I mean, we've we had a few unicorns while we I were agree. there, but he is just one of a kind. So you were in Green Co, I believe. Yeah, yeah, and you had some of the names of the folks uh, that you 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 did Green Co with. You were in the Tour Co for a couple of years, I think. Yeah, like two and a half years. Back I, I then, toured people for a toured long time. for longer. Yeah, um, uh, you know, a, a few again. The, the, it moves slowly. People would do three shows on the ETC and then three on the main. And again, the, 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 the train kept moving. Shortly after I started, they closed down Northwest. So, you know, you lost one stage that was another six people. Yep. So I think that probably, that shut down the movement for a while. Because um, some of those Northwest people went to the stages, the main stage, didn't they? Like, uh, wasn't Colbert or was he already... Well, Colbert, I, I just barely missed overlapping with Colbert and Carell. Like, they had left earlier in that year. I think that's part of the reason they had that special audition. Mm. And I will say that the thing that really made me want to do Second City was somebody dragged me to Colbert's last night. Oh. Which would have been probably in late 94. Sure. Um, Give me, tell me a little bit about that. Well, 
you know, last nights are a very special thing at Second City. You give a speech, you do your best of scenes from your run, uh, and then you get a pie in the face. Yep. And then you give the speech. Yes. With, with the whipped cream dripping. Yes. Um, a lot of other people give intros to scenes, <laughs> which then are speeches about them. <laughs> so I think Colbert was leaving to do Exit 57 uh, with Danello and uh, Amy, Sedaris. Amy Sedaris, directed by Mick, you know, which was a sketch show they did for Comedy Central in New York. And I had no idea who he was. I had not seen him in a show at that point. But uh, my friend Vicky, uh, I think, worked for Second City at the time. She's like, you got to come see this guy's last night. I got, I got tickets. Oh, yeah. Uh, and so, like, it was, it was incredible, you know. And they did, you know, uh, scenes that I would later tour, like Black Molly's uh, and Maya, uh, peak earning potential. Like he just created so many iconic scenes and his speech was so beautiful. And I was like, okay, now I get it now. I want, I want to do this. I mean, getting to see best of Colbert, if it doesn't make you want to do second city. Yeah. 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 Yes. And that's what, that's what those last nights are. They're hopefully they're your best of show. And, and you know, and with a, with a few send offs and, and speeches and, and people rows. coming back who would, yes. you know, Moved on already, you know. Actually, coming. David Pompey, uh, I was texting with him today, and he mentioned how, he, how touched he was that you came back for his last night. Oh, wow. We did Gourds, I believe. Yes, yeah. he said you came back and did yeah. a scene. So uh, so you, you got a shout-out from Dave. Yeah, that was nice. Uh, he may have been the other improv everyman, or he agreed. <laughs> uh, so give me a one touring highlight, if you can. Well, the best gig by far was a week in Vienna, Austria. By far. Yes. The second best gig was a week in Kansas City. So there's a, there a big drop South off South Carolina and Arkansas also offered you a one-week stay in a more humid uh, yeah. scenario than those. Spoleto was not going on when I was in oh, Torco. Okay. That was, was the, there, my best gig that I ever did. There was no USO tours or anything like that at the time. Ski tour was the big thing, but... Because of when I joined the company, they had just done it after mm. I joined, and we were about to do it when I got promoted to ETC. So, so you I, missed both of those. I literally was going to make Ski Tour my final tour like, and kind of go out yes. uh, in a blaze of glory, uh, but then I got moved up and never got to never got to do that. So some of those states, Wyoming, never didn't, been, never didn't been get there to. To, to this day. I mean, that's one of the best ways to see the 50 states is to be in a touring company for a couple years because uh, you'll hit a, a good portion of them. Most of the states that I've been to was from touring. Me too. I yeah. checked a lot of boxes that I'd not been to. And I think, you know, when I describe touring to somebody, they always imagine of like that you're in a van for like months at a time. I would have preferred that actually, but it, it's a lot. It was really a lot of going to Wisconsin for one night and then back, you know. Yeah, it, maybe you would do three, four shows. I did one van tour when I started. Actually, it was in Green Co. before I went to Blue Co., but... It was like a uh, an ACC tour, I, ca I call it, because we, we drove from Chicago to D.C. The first gig was in D.C. Like, we should have flown there. Yeah. But we drove there first, and then we did, like, Clemson, North Carolina, Georgia Tech, uh, maybe maybe another ACC school. and Played the Dean Dome. All, yes, yes. Uh, and I hit all those southern states through that, that tour. But, yeah, usually it wasn't that long of a tour. Yeah. You're either in a spot for a week or two, or you're just a one-nighter, one-nighter, whatever. Uh, still still fun, but and you get to sleep in your own bed a lot, yeah. which is good that way. Yeah. Uh, but you're right. Like a two-week tour or whatever, that's when, when once things get a little ripe after a week or something, that's when the stories get better. I do remember one low light, though, oh. if you'd like to oh, hear Oh, I always love a low light. 
uh, this, I forget how far into my touring days, but I think this was a time where we had like had the same RO for a while. We'd just kind of been locked into it. We were on autopilot with it. And we were asked to do a gig for Skidmore Owings and Merrill, the legendary architecture firm that had designed definitely the Hancock Center, maybe the Sears Tower as ah. well. And this is the 50th anniversary of this architecture firm. And they're having it in the signature room of the Hancock Center, the 95th floor. Oh, yeah. Which is like the most spectacular view of Lake Michigan. Everybody's in black tie. Super posh room. And they've celebrated by hiring a, uh, a Second City tour go. Um, go all out. And we this is not a BizCo gig. This is not a custom gig. We're just doing our regular Torco RO. Same same thing you would do at uh, at Stevens Point College in Wisconsin. Exactly, which we'd probably done the night before. Yes. Uh, and so we opened with three blackouts. You know, do a little morning person, do a little uh, Hemingway, uh, maybe uh, maybe a Mick Jagger. Sure. And they're, they're, they, they kill, you know. And so our first scene in the show is this scene called Career Forum that was a Colbert and Carell, Rosowski. It's a geek scene. Okay. Do you know the scene? Um, uh, Colbert is, like, leading a focus group of different people uh, who, yes. who, like, have their ideal careers. And a yes. geek scene at Second City is basically a character scene where everybody except one person is a wacky character. And, every you know, they're, there's a, a straight man a, scene. A voice of reason leading them through something. <laughs> yes. And so one of his hypotheticals in the scene is, okay, you're walking down Michigan Avenue. And a, and a, 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 a gust of wind blows a... Uh, uh, a sheet of plate glass from the top of the Hancock Center, and it falls down and shears your arm off. What do you do? Uh, <laughs> and so this is, again, this is the scene we did every show. This is just in our regular RO. Nobody has thought about what we're doing. So we're in, we're in front of some of the greatest architects in the world celebrating the history of their firm in the building that they designed and telling them their landmark building that their landmark building could kill someone. And I think Ed Herbstman was doing the Colbert part. And I almost remember, you know, and like, I almost like woke up in the middle of the scene as he's saying of like, you're walking down Michigan Avenue. It's like, and I'm, I'm trying to <laughs> signal to him, like, don't do it, you know, change it to any other building. Any, what are you I doing? Mean, it's the one room that that joke will not work in. And so I'll never forget losing an audience so quickly. And we did a two act full show. <laughs> them and they were done after they that. were done after that like in their mind of like of course this is like a custom thing that we brought in they don't yes. know yes what what they're we're like doing fucks wanna insult us right at the top ah <laughs> uh, architects not known for their sense of humor really no uh my goodness yeah that's just some poor planning or no planning really is what it is that uh, is a good that's a good disaster story dinner yes though Ah, well, then it's a victory, ultimately. So there, you went right from Tourco. Again, sometimes there's a gap because, like you said, I didn't even think of that because the, the Northwest stage was usually five, maybe sometimes six, certainly main stage-level performers. Yeah. And now suddenly you're right. You've taken five. Was that equity also? It probably was. I'm not sure what their – I mean, they must have been yeah, on the equity contract as well. I knew the last one, the last Northwest show had Brian and Miriam, and they went on to ETC. ETC and right after Nancy that. Walls went to SNL, SNL from from Northwest. Right. Oh, and Dwyer was in that last cast, and so he got moved up to ETC. Yes. Okay. So they took, but but again, normally those three spots for ETC, if they're still doing the Northwest show, 
Yeah. Maybe they get that, but then someone goes over to Northwest for a permanent show. Right. So, again, that stops up the, the works a little bit. It was real bollocked up for a while. It yeah. was when UCB left, that was big because Amy was in Blue Co. and Walsh and Ian were in Red Co. And that uh, freed up a lot. And they, yeah. if they had wanted the stages, that the, was theirs probably. A- Amy take. was offered main stage for the spot that Tina got. So the uh, it was to replace Glazer. John Glazer, it was the first time they were going to three men and three women. So it had been Pinata Fulbiz had four dudes, two ladies. John Glazer left. Got it's just so funny how, how Amy and Tina, like, again, like, maybe two, you know, two of the greatest improvisers ever were on the same. Uh, you mentioned the family. No women on that team. Somehow Sharna puts the two great, and if you want to say maybe the two greatest women improvisers, maybe the two greatest improvisers. But on in a time when only one woman is on a team, and sometimes none, she ends up putting the two greatest on the one team. Yeah. And then one has to take the job or the other. Like, it's just so and funny. And then they were in the same Torco, and then they had to compete against, against each, each other, other for they, a spot. They epitomize the, the place of women trying to succeed in improv. Yeah. Um, they've, done all, they've done all right. Well, they are the success stories, the two. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so... Yeah, that obviously would clear up some space there. And so then, yeah, a few people got hired onto the ETC with you, correct? Yeah. You were not the only one added to that cast. I, I think me and Tammy yes. and Kristen were all new. And that was Noah, correct? That first show? Yes, that was If the White House is a Rockin', Don't Come a Knockin'. You had some good titles in the shows that you did. That's a very good one. I like That's that. That's not too bad. I think that was Dwyer came up with that and one. And it's also, I mean, it's... It was at the height of the Clinton-Lewinsky scandal, um, and we had little to nothing about politics in the show. So, I mean, it wasn't a good advertisement for what we were doing, really, but if that it was got a people sex in joke. the room... Yeah. yeah. And, and all you needed was one sex joke in the show. I bet you have that. And so that's Noah directing, uh, and that's a pretty so Tammy, Kristen, Rebecca, Dwyer, and Raj, and you. Yeah. First show. Any any observations going into writing a show after a very improv world, right? This is kind of the transition. And Turco's. I don't know that you were writing a lot of your own stuff. Maybe a little in Turco. A little bit, not too much. Uh, when I toured with Horatio. Uh, and Jeff Richmond was our director. He had this incredible scene called Roast, which was like a parody of those uh, Dean Martin roasts where we're Friars all like, Club. yeah, we're all like made up show business figures. And uh, I, I'm the, the Dean Martin. I do like three minutes of bits. And then I hand it over to Raj who would improvise this like fifth, literally 15 minute monologue uh, that just gets more and more horrific, which was kind of like his sweet spots yes. as a second city performer. So I roast was definitely one of the, and I think he always tried to get it into a second city show and it never did, but he had similar things yeah. that like, you can't he, get a 15 minute monologue into a second city show. He, usually he came close. He came close. <laughs> Well, but but the process for that show, I just remember being so long. Like it was about a four month writing process. Oh, like longer than all the ones that I. There, there weren't any that were short. That's for sure. That but this four one, months is a lot. Especially, Sometimes they're just eight weeks. Especially for this one, uh, and because it's my first show, I have nothing to compare it against, really. And we spent probably a third of our rehearsal time on a huge musical number that didn't make the show. 
So that was a, a, a huge bummer. We did this song about celebration, which was that town that Disney was creating, yeah. like uh, this pre-made suburban community. Mm-hmm. I remember that. that, that you, you had something in the show about, or I, I remember some joke I about that. I think a tiny bit of it, like a vestigal right. you know, right. organ uh, 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 of that. But I mean, you don't spend... You know, two months working on a fucking song for it to have no input in the show. But but that definitely hurt morale, you know, to have something that clearly was not working. You're spending a lot of time on because it's very elaborate. Did everybody kind of realize that it wasn't working before you stopped working on it? Yeah, I think so. You know, the, the thing about Second City Process is the audience ultimately decides, you know, uh, and you could. You know, you could have the most, uh, the coolest director, the most open-minded director. You know, you have a cast who's willing to do something. But if you've done it 20 times in front of an audience and has gotten nothing, it's not making the show. Yep, you're not going to be able to explain it to them and get them to (laughs) like it or anything afterwards. And then I think the number one thing I learned from the first process is the thing that everybody learns their first process, which is uh, you don't learn it until your your first night after opening, which is of like, oh, shit. We're doing this for six months. We're doing this. We're doing this. Because all you're thinking about is like, oh, am I going to get anything in the show? And like, I, I got to do this. And I'm like, oh, I got to support this person's idea. And then the show opens and you're locked in. Right. Because you've been experimenting and trying different things the whole time. Once you're locked in, you realize what stuff you don't like. Yeah. And so I think for every process after that, I was really good about making sure that if I said something, it was something I wanted to say. If I was in something, it was something I wanted to be in, you know? And sometimes it's not always your idea. It's about, it it really is those improv lessons about making the other person's idea look good and finding the best way to like make it be the scene they want it to be the best version of it. And for you to have a little fun. Yes. And, And that's, I think actually one of the great things about the second city process is that because there's such mutual investment, you know, it serves everybody to find your fun in whatever scene you're in because that's going to make the scene better. Ultimately. I, I remember an example of being in, in basically a monologue that I was just kind of serving. And I, I, I said to the actor, I was like, there just, I don't have to be in this. It'll be better, faster, clearer. Don't do me the favor, you know, and, and you know, and at that time with Hovdi, you know, he kind of measured out what you were in also. So I was like, all right, if I'm going to get measured into some scene, I don't want it to, you know, and that I wouldn't have done that the first show I did. Yeah. You know, and again, it was it was better for the whole show to to make that decision. I wasn't, you know, it wasn't selfish necessarily. It was just like, I don't need this. You don't need this. Let's let's be honest about it and realizing say it now and don't resent it for six months running it. <laughs> and the, yeah, and it's, and it's not to say in the other shows that there weren't occasionally some scenes where you're like you're standing in the wings and you're like, oh, this this fucking thing, you know. But it's it's not. It, there's some scenes that just kind of lose their luster over the run, or the audience. Ult- it, it felt good on opening night, but ultimately the audience decides of like, eh, we don't love this. It's one. It's not topical you know? anymore, or yeah. or other things, you know, get better and take you know precedence over it in the show. Uh, and again, and and. Even bad scenes, by the end of the run, you've fudged it enough to make it fun, hopefully. You know what I mean? You found the way, the little changes you can do yeah. on a fuck around Friday or something that get in. A, f- a few years after I left Second City, I was putting together a reel for myself. And so I had my five tapes, you know, giant VHS uh, tapes from 
the shows, uh, and this, this is the only footage I have that I can put into a reel. So sure. I had to sit down and kind of watch all of the shows. And what I learned from watching all of them together was like the bad ones were not quite as bad as I remembered, and the good ones yes. were not quite as good as yes. I remembered. They're all sketch comedy reviews, which are a mixed bag by their nature. And I think when people think of a Second City review being good, they're really responding to the energy of the cast and maybe also the bells and whistles added by the director. But ultimately, it's always a mixed bag. Yep. And maybe you've got something like the most popular show I was in had a good title and was very topical about Obama at the, like, Hit, we're going to talk about a show hitting at the worst time possible, <laughs> in your instance, right? I, want, I wonder which one. Yeah. But, again, that can have so much to do with it, too. Yeah. You know, uh, just the timing the timing of that. So, you did that one, and then there was some turnover with Richmond. Some turnover. There was nothing but turnover. Oh, I my was, God, I'm looking. You're the only one who stayed. Not only, I'm the only cast member who stayed, New stage manager, new musical director, new director. So, like, it, the, the room could not have been You were the only thing more different. The I was the only thing that, that, was, that held over, yeah. So, again, that's pretty unusual to have that kind of turnover completely, including the, the stage manager and uh, musical director. And all these folks come in, Ali, Pompey, Garcia, Angela, Sue, and you – I've talked about this cast before. This is probably the most diverse cast they've had in the history of the Second City, and it was and that totally w- accidental. Well, was go it? ahead. Was I don't it? Know. I don't know that they were ha- thinking of those things. Though. Oh, Maybe that, Jeff was. Oh, no, they absolutely were. That was the goal. It was a mandate from Andrew uh, to diversify the cast. Well, they did it. Yeah. And, and, I, that, and I, I never really, and again, Credit to the cast and everything. It, I, that was never, and I, I can be cynical and, and question things. That never really occurred to me. No, no that that was that was the goal. I mean that I mean they fired. Well, they did fire a bunch of people. Yeah. Uh, Raj moved up to SNL. Yeah. Like he, what I was hearing was that that. That might have been his last show anyway, ah, you know? Yeah. Uh, and then Ali, they brought back, you know, who had been fired from Torco, you know. But I think this was Jeff's first uh, experience as a director. He definitely, w- he was bringing in Ali as his guy, definitely. Oh, uh, I like, think, it, you know, he everybody he brought in ultimately was his to feel comfortable. Not, yeah. Not for that reason, but I mean, that's that's the director's prerogative. But that show definitely leaned into we are the diverse cast, you know, as I think Martin talked about, you know, on, yes, on his yeah. interview. I just remember, that from what I remember, is just that show having some fun, energetic group scenes. Yeah. Uh, Revela- that show was Revelation Would Not Be Televised. It was followed by History Repaints Itself, which was the same cast except for Jack McBrayer and for Ali. Yes. And so those shows, I think, not just for me, but for people who were bleed. around that time, they bleed together a lot because same director, Jeff Richman. They yes. had very similar you're, you're, energy. You're right. They had a lot of uh, group energy. I preferred History uh, of the two reviews. Okay. You know, I think Revelation was pushing the envelope a little more with, with more... Not necessarily political material, but uh, edgier social material. And if, and that's th- if you're going to have a cast like that, take yes. advantage and and serve you know the social commentary available to you. 
Because you had people like Angela and David and Ali especially had a lot to say in, yes. in that regard, you know. But the the more, you know, middle of the road to, you know, uh, right-leaning, you know, Chicago, you know, suburban audience was not always into that show. No, true. I think history was more of a crowd pleaser. Yes. And then when, when you trade Ali for Jack, that's just going to I was just about to, to re- say. Reflect the shift in The Q in rating from Ali to Jack and Ali is brilliant but he is an alienator <laughs> on purpose he's a provocateur that's yes. what he does he, he had a bit and made it into the ETC with the burger right didn't that wasn't that in the ETC I don't think it made it into a show then maybe I saw he him did it do in it. Torco for years for years he did it in sets as he, well he, he is an absolute genius and uh I, I mean he is he and Raj, I would say, are like the most like provocateur people that I've worked with, and they they both had done UCB the sketch, you know, exactly group that preexisted before the UCB four that formed the, uh, the yes, theater. and the UCB they are kind of as we said a more anarchistic, you know, they weren't as much into into social commentary as much as social experiment, mm-hmm. you know, fucking with the audience. <laughs> And McKay had a lot of that, too. I think McKay is the greatest combination of social commentary and social experiment with that, you know, kind of energy. Well, what I like to say with like with that kind of stuff is I think it's easy to offend. It's hard to unsettle. Yes. And I think and I think that the best comedy that all those people have done is like truly unsettling. Yes. In a good way. That's like. Thought provoking and funny as fuck, but also like, ooh, I yes. don't know if I not comfortable after. I want to be here. Not yeah. comfortable after. Absolutely. Uh, th- those those names are all matters. But if you just want to offend people, you can do that. You know, in a, in a heartbeat. But that, you... we've seen that done over and over again, and it's yeah. easy enough. And and people mistake that for being provocative and edgy. And yes, it's, it's not. Yes, it's easy. And just for uh, I know we maybe have referenced it, but the the burger thing that Ali did was basically he did a bit. So that he could get Second City to buy him dinner every night. Yes. Now that dinner had to be a, a Big Mac, yeah. <laughs> which he then made fun of in his bit as he ate it. But still, a brilliant move to to uh, in a in a in a business where dinner no is the answer you get most often. <laughs> he got dinner yes. It was a classic monologue. It was so great. So, and, and again, Ali, a little more. Maybe you're going to get more of a a show that's a ensemble with McBrayer, who again has got that IO energy and stuff. Uh, and not the anarchistic, uh, you're right. It like Jack McBrayer is one of the most beloved to an audience. Cause it's, it's weird when you get in a cast with somebody like that, Brian Gallivan and my cast, where if you make it to the second city, it means that at IO you've been getting laughs and pulling laughs and been one of the better performers there and get a good reaction from the audience and then you go and you are up against a Jack, perhaps, or a Brian Galvin. And, like, everything they do is just getting a reaction and you're just like, I will never be that beloved. Jack McBrayer sang a song from the perspective of a date rapist and endeared himself to the audience in that show. So, yeah. And I, I think an, another difference is that uh, Revelation was not tourable for the most part because it was so specific to the people who created it. And history had more sh- scenes. Yeah, that I think toured, history is what I'm thinking of. That toured that forever because you had lies, you had chairs, you had timeline, which all became like Torco classics. And then yes. it's 
I mean, that's one of the hard things at Second City is hard to create an evergreen scene. And those all ended up being evergreen, at least for a certain amount of time. And that that also speaks to that is how we kind of know each other historically at Second City is through those tour co-scenes. You know, like you, you will learn sometimes about a person before you've even met them or you may never meet them, but you kind of learn them through the part that you play yeah. in those tour co-scenes. I always thought like and then the, the greatest example to me is Maya seeing that after touring it in the anniversary show and how small everything they did was. Yes. And how we were fucking hamming the shit out of it. And it's like, oh, these are actors. Well, as it gets handed down through generations, like... That's the other thing you, you learn the gets, broad strokes of it and it gets more and more cartoonish, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, um, Pictionary. In Bizco, like, I know I've added a joke that other that I've seen in that scene. So when it started out, it had 10 less jokes easily. It would be unrecognizable to probably, the original folks. Yeah. Probably. And I think it's maybe better now because there's more laughs, but sure. it's probably off, off of any th- idea that they had. Uh, but I just, in talking about it, I was thinking that, you know, I would run those scenes that you wrote and stuff, and it's like, oh, I'm doing the Jack part, I'm doing Craig part, and that is actually part of the history how we kind of know each other. And you're right. No, very few scenes last more than like 10, 12 years, maybe. Yeah. Uh, some of the group ones that are family dynamics can, can stand up to it. But, uh, I mean, timeline was, uh, the end of the millennium, you know, it was 1999. So it literally was, here's a tour through the last century, you know, and you pick, and, Probably the justification for why we're doing a tour of the uh, the 1900s probably got it's now 20 yes. 20 plus yeah, years you'd, you'd on. So to, you'd have to take out two century uh, two decades and put in two new ones. Yeah. Uh, too much rewriting. All right, so now we've gone through your etc years. Uh, you would I would guess wanted to do main drain. Yeah, and definitely. And was the process just would you have done another etc? I'm trying to think. Well, again, I replaced Dorf. Okay. So, like, uh, I, I lucked out that he left main stage. Mm-hmm. And uh, I I don't know if I had, how close ETC was to another process or if I'm like, that's my last ETC. I don't even remember. It wasn't near that time. It wasn't near that, it. It wasn't near that time. I, I think I did clear, almost the full run of history, you know. Uh, and then, yeah, then I took over in Dor- for Dorf in Second City 4.0. Mm-hmm. So that would have been me and Eddie yep. and, uh, and Tallarico. And the show that you guys then went into, the first show that you did on Main Drain was uh, on Main Stage, Slaughterhouse. And you you actually mentioned to me when I asked for good titles, you thought this was one of the best titles. It's the all-time best, uh, Slaughterhouse 5 Cattle Zero. Yeah. That's Ed Furman. Yeah. yeah. And, and again... That is a kind of an evergreen title. Evergreen. We did have this one thing about famous authors in the show, so that kind of justified the title. A little and that's thread. All, all you need. That's, that's all it. you need. That's it. And really, everyone should read that book. And that show, Slaughterhouse Five Cattle Zero, fun process. Who directed that? With us, Jeff again. Jeff Richmond. Yep. So three like, in a row with Jeff again. I'm with the same director who had been my tour co-director and my music director and my friend at IO for years. So it's like it's very comfortable. Uh, I'm, Did you live in the same building as him or as Tina? Did you live in that? No, sl- Jeff and Tina lived in this building on uh, Wellington and Lincoln, Lincoln. for years yeah. where Don Bardwell was and a lot of improvisers were yes, in that Yes, that building. was the improv. Was that the improv flop house it was called or something? Like? Maybe, yeah. yeah. No, I was never in that building. Okay. I, I, yeah. I, I knew of that building and I knew a lot of improvisers lived there. I, I, I didn't know that you were not one of them. Yeah. 
It's right by that 24-hour diner. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know. Yes, yeah. right at Wellington. You described Wellington and Lincoln. There's a dentist sign that's always their big dentist sign. Yes. There. Uh, <laughs> so that was my only show with Talarico, who was probably my closest like improv friend at Second City because we had Dasariski and we were on the same Herald team. We had just done so many improv shows together. So that was a really fun process being with him. And Sue Gillen was in uh, all the shows with me other than my first. So... She was definitely a great partner in crime. And by the time you're doing your third show with somebody, you kind of, you've got to, especially if it's someone that you're working with, you know, and writing stuff with, you've got a good rapport there. I'm back with Tammy, who I had done, again, done a lot with at IO, done my first DTC show with. I'm doing my third show in a row with Angela. Uh, Eddie was the only person I'd not really worked with before, uh, but he's so easy to work with. Super low maintenance. Very low maintenance and having like stepping into Dorf's roles for a few weeks, you know, I kind of like it, it, it was a fun way to like ease into yes. the cast, you know, before writing with them. And that was a fun show. And that ran for a while. I mean, the shows back then ran, you know, it was probably a three month or more rehearsal process and an eight or nine month run. Yeah, so you, you could really, go past a year yeah. from start to start with that. Stuff. Again, you better like the show you're in. Yes. You're going to spend almost a year doing it. Yes. And, 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 you know, some fun folks in that. And, and, and again, I remember, I probably saw that show a few times. Um, I'm trying to think. Is there, a, what's, give me one scene out of that that I would know that, that show. And this is why it's good to have you because you have accuracy. <laughs> you listen to other episodes and you were like, some people got their casts wrong in their shows. <laughs> Well, it's it's hard it to is. remember. They, bleed. they do bleed together, but there, there's been so many episodes that I've listened to, and people yeah. are, and you're like, "Who's in that show?" And people start listing off the cast, and I'm like, "Nope, nope, 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 nope." nope, nope. <laughs> um, so I, I don't remember everything, but at least I, I I do remember that pretty well. I remember when I was doing Gourds with Pompeii at yeah. uh, ETC, uh, which did make it into the Second City, you know, 40th anniversary book, yeah. you know, which was pretty cool. Like we're on the CD there. And that I think is the typical scene that I'm proud of from Second City, which is just like a good two person relationship scene. And Alan Arkin came to the 40th anniversary and came backstage to talk to me and David after the show. And he's like, uh, that was so good with the gourds. Like we used to, we used to call them people scenes. Amazing. <laughs> and Amazing. so, uh, and the, I mean, that's the highest compliment because you've ever seen the first cast. There's this wonderful scene between Barbara Harris and Alan Arkin where they're at an art gallery. He's a beatnik yes, at an yes, art yes, yes, gallery. Yes, yes. And it, it's like literally a 20 minute two person oh, yes. scene. They were long back then, but it's great. They it's were like one a, act plays. They were one act plays. So these were more like five minute yes. one act plays. But uh, and so my scene in Slaughterhouse that was like that was bus with Talarico. Yes. Where uh, who was the. Was he the driver or was I the driver? Jesus. No, Talarica was the driver, driver. certainly. Uh, He's an old man who's driving a bus. I'm an old man getting on a bus, and we just have this long conversation. And the scene, uh, the show after that, I did a scene with Sue where we're two old Irish people and I'm uh, having my liver replaced, you know, and I'm about to go into surgery. Like, yeah, I just seen with Tammy in the first show where we're two old people playing Scrabble. So like that was my vibe. You've got the old people uh, two person scene down. Sue Gillen's nickname for me was grandpa. So like even when I was 30 years old, I was the grandpa in the cast. Yes. And I think. My scenes reflected that. Like that's what I you wanted. Need to have a grandpa to, in the in the cast, just to slow it down and have a two person scene. Yes. Uh, so now I, I do want to talk about because it's you know while it may it wasn't your favorite probably process, it's an interesting process. 
Uh, and I've talked to Ed about it uh, a little bit. Uh, I don't know if I've had too many other people about you it. You got Pompey and Martin. Oh, that's right. Martin was in that one too. That's right. Well, yeah, I think Pompey kind of just like <laughs> washed it out washed of his mind. Out of yes, his washed mind. it out of his mind. Yeah. And this is, of course, the show Embryos on Ice or Fetus Don't Fail Us Now, which opened on September. Well, it was supposed to open on September. It was due to open on September 12, 12, 2001. Right. And we all know the events of September 11, 2001. So that, you know, kind of made the embryo story. It was a lower priority. Well, it was like page 11 at that point. And all the other stories were 9-11. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so what was your experience in that? Because, you know, even before the show opened, you went through two directors. Right? Yeah. Yeah, so our director, this is my first time not working with Jeff in like two years. Yes, right. Uh, the director was this gentleman, Michael Kennard, who came down from Canada, and he was like a renowned clown Yes, uh, in, in Canada, and he had just directed uh, the Second City Toronto stage. And I think from uh, from hearing about it later, it sounded like the Toronto cast he had directed was all like new people who were just like excited and raring to go. And uh, he was just not the right director for this particular cast like all of us had done at least three shows uh and that I think. yes and, and and it's like when you're beginning improvise you do all the object work and you carry each other and you be the objects by the time you've done your thousand improv show thousandth thank you you're just doing like scenes and chairs you know you <laughs> stop doing all that stuff and i don't want to apply that like we're just like running on fumes at that point but of like we we know who we are and yeah. what we want to do i think and i think we you know and the toronto shows are more physical generally yeah just in general that's and that's a, a, a kind of a younger physical approach and, and in fairness to michael who was a really nice and really cool guy like i really enjoyed talking with him at the bar uh after after rehearsals yes. you know or after the uh the shows like he just was it was not a good fit yeah you know and that's happened a lot of times when they bring outsiders in yeah I mean, it's happened when they bring insiders into here or there, but I think more often, and it's not that you shouldn't try different stuff, but it is a specific language we speak at the Second City. And so I think because we just we weren't speaking the same language, it was kind of a tumultuous rehearsal process, and it was already going kind of long, and I think he was booked for a gig that he had to get back for, and we were just not ready to open. Right. You know, so Jeff Richmond comes in to uh, Again, to yeah. to to direct, uh, and now we're getting into the beginning of September of two thousand one. It's a fun, silly show. You How know? much did it change from uh, Michael to Jeff? Oh, I think quite a bit. I think we discovered a lot of things like those last. I think we only had Jeff for like two weeks, right? But I. Uh, there was so much so much familiarity with him carried over, probably. Yes. You know, the thing about when you when you open the show, you always have one thing that was from day one of rehearsal, and then you ideally have a few things that you discovered like la right at the last minute because there's something you're really excited about that yes. also maybe feels a little dangerous, like right. it's not quite ready on opening But you're night, going with it. But you're going with yeah. it, you know. And then a few things that you've worked on, you know, that are, that are locked in a, a little more. So I think we discovered some new scenes with Jeff. Martin and Sue, you know, I think Martin talked about this, like that they had a, a trilogy of dance pieces because yeah. they had ballroom right. in the uh, the Revelation show. They had chairs. chairs. And so they had this wonderful scene where Sue was a corpse and Martin was waltzing with her from yes. a gurney. Like yeah. I would roll her in on the gurney and then Martin would start dancing with her and it was beautiful. But yeah. 
after, you know, 3,000 Americans had been killed, like, right. we're not going to put that in, yeah. in the show, you oh, know? Oh, God. So, like, that was the one thing that got cut yes. after after 9-11. But, oh. yeah, but mostly I think Jeff was punching up the stuff that sure. we, we had and, and you know, finding bells and whistles and Speaking th- the language lines. that you all knew and making it more yeah. along that. And then, of course, so, I mean, the show must have been set. It was totally set. So, 9-10, like... Uh, well, when was nine eleven? It was a Tuesday, right? Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, so nine nine. Yes, we do uh, our final dress. Probably, you know, it, it goes how it goes. We're yep. like, okay, great. We'll see you on nine uh, eleven for uh, for rehearsal. You know, for like our final rehearsal. Yes, to, like lock things in for our opening night on nine twelve. Uh, and so on the day, like I woke up. I probably did our mondo on that Monday. Almost certainly. Almost certainly. I always did on my, my day off. Probably stayed out till two or three. So I woke up around noon, I think. Oh, so uh, yeah. It, everything, both towers had dropped. Oh, oh yeah. At that point. And, uh, and so I go on to, log on to AOL, and then that's, that's how I find out. You know, I woke up my girlfriend, and we watched the news, you know, on TV. Tried to call my parents in the D.C. area. Could not get through to them. Right. Like, that yeah. was scary because I think... You know, and, did, the, and did you go in that day for rehearsal? No, no. So we uh, we canceled rehearsal on the day. Uh, we the pushed night. back pushed back the opening until nine twenty. Ah. And uh, Jeff, uh, who's married to Tina, who's in New York, New York, was like, "I'm getting the fuck out of here. I can't fly. I'm taking the train to New York." Is that what he did? Yeah. Oh, so Mick Mick came in for those final eight days uh, to clean up the stuff again. He took out the the gurney yeah. uh, cor- corpse dancing scene uh, punched up the stuff that we had. There was no real discussion of, are we going to, other than, you know, eliminating that one potentially yeah. offensive scene, uh, are we going to change it to reflect what just happened? It just wasn't in anybody's what mind. What could you say? Because er- new. everyone didn't know how comedy was going to go. You know, the first show we did, the first preview on nine twelve. We had, I think, 30 people in the audience. That is probably the smallest audience I've ever seen on the main stage. And they gave us a standing O. Sure. For our relatively shitty (laughs) sketch comedy show. But of like, it felt like. You got to think they wanted it. If anybody came there that night. They wanted it more than anyone who ever came there. They needed it. They I th- could also see it was therapeutic for us in some way. Yeah. It, was, it was really kind of a, a beautiful, yes. beautiful night. I bet. That, that's I th- a shared moment, really. And then when we opened a week later, I think we got a couple of reviews that are like, thank God for the Second City making us laugh. And then there were a fair amount of reviews that were like, this, well, this, show, is, uh, <laughs> this show is already passe, right, yeah. which, is, which was true. And, and you know, the, that's, the circumstances dictated that. Yeah. Uh, so now with this happening, did you know this was your last show? Not going into the process. No, but I think that solidified things. Okay. Yeah. So there wasn't a feeling of like, and because that is, again, the show after that daunting, (laughs) right? Yeah. Uh, to have to deal with that, that thing. Um, though those First few reviews after that, both on ETC and Mainstage, did an incredible job with it, to, to be honest. No, and, oh, definitely. Was Yellow Cab of Courage? Was the ETC show, you know. That was a great show. Yeah. And it did. And again, that's where, and this is a theme that we, that's where, and, and even then, like, Keegan was the diversity that kind of served multiple parts. But 
so necessary at that point and always, but it really showed itself during that period of time of how, honestly, without Keegan and some, I'm thinking in that show, like there's not, you can't play it the same way. Yeah. I'm thinking of how Stephanie and Kevin played uh, the airport thing Mm. previous, like it just, you wouldn't be able to do that after that event happened. Right. Uh, there was a previous scene before 9-11 with a b- bomb left at an airport. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it would have a totally <laughs> different th- meaning afterwards with that. Uh, so you I mean, th- it, made, it made Second City more relevantly political than it had been in, in years. Yes, yes. You know, so and it, it kind of stayed like that for a while. Um, but you had kind of made the decision. Yeah, I think it wasn't a fun rehearsal process. I think... That's one of the things with Second City is that everyone kind of feels like they have unfinished business with it in some ways. And everybody, is, you know, wanted to do one more show or they stayed one show too long. Yeah, and you're in right. In hindsight, I stayed one show too long. You know, I didn't know it at the time, but that 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 was the case. But you you're know? right. That is, there's, no matter how satisfied, no matter how many shows, it's one or the other question. Uh and so, yeah, you're not going to do another show after you've done one show too many because you're not salvaging that. And you already don't want to taint what is already a good memory, hopefully. And I was starting to think about L.A. and I was starting to think about what else is there to do in Chicago. And there really wasn't a lot to do in terms of film and TV sure. at, at the time. So, But then within just a couple of years of us moving out here, they just start shooting everything <laughs> in Chicago, of course. Uh, so now I'm going to ask you the question that I, I said, because you are you, and I stopped asking this question, but if you listen, asking about who you think, you know, your, in, your improv influences are, uh, because I do know that you, you know, you, you were a famous list maker in Chicago. Now you've claimed to have never made your list of the top hundred improvisers in yeah, which I'm gunning for 42. That's apocryphal. Uh, but I bet you have certainly, I know you love Stephanie Weir as perhaps your favorite improviser because we've talked about this because we're nerds about this. So who are some people who, who, who shaped you as improvisers and other people you've watched, contemporaries and stuff, uh, right up to when you saw me improvise the first time? <laughs> and you changed the game forever. I, I mean, well, and just let's not, let me, let me just say, I have to say this, JTS Brown, the next big thing in improv, uh-huh. which you directed. Yeah. That's a weaselicious show, bro. Just transforming all the time. All right, back to your... It's a lot more than just that, but... <laughs> um, well, the first time I saw you would have been in, in a jam, so... Oh, yeah, so the best of, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was as drunk as could be. I mean, definitely those those teams, uh, Jazz Freddy and the family, you know, practically all of my, you know, the formative influences, you know, the people you see and you're like, how are they doing this? You know, Adam McKay was, I think, the smartest person that I've still to this day seen on an improv stage and just stuff would come out of his mouth like it was poetry. And then later after getting to know him, I'm like, oh, he actually is just that smart and that articulate, you know, because when you watch people like that, you're so daunted of like, well, I recognize that's good improv. I know I can't do that. So maybe I can't do good improv. Right. And and then you learn that people are just the most version of themselves. But I would say it's a it's a toss up between Kevin Dorf and Stephanie Weir of the the best people that I've ever seen, you know, uh-huh. and then certainly of the people that I work with a lot, you know, Dassey and Talarico, like and and Jean, sure, uh, and Carla, my wife, and you know, like uh, I I work with people who are just really want to dig into long scenes and characters and just like kind of living in in the moment, and certainly certainly T J and Dave are. are 
up there as well. You sure, know. sure. We always have to say them. <laughs> Everybody says them. You know, I, I, I think they, I actually think about why they are so good at improv more than people who mention them as the best improvisers because I'm always breaking it down like, what is it about? And then and, and they're patient and they're slow and they listen. They yeah. listen really well. And they're actors when they improvise too. <clears throat> and that's all, I mean, everyone you're talking about is seeped in the long form IO tradition of doing improv. And so, as are you, so it would, it would make sense. All right. And well, the a name that everybody has heard. Oh, that's one thing I wanted to say. I said khaki to somebody not long at that wedding. Someone who had lived in Chicago, but they were they didn't know who you were first. Oh, they were like no. khaki. I know. And it was again, the name khaki in Chicago for ten years, that was all Iconic. you had to say. It was. <laughs> I mean in a, in a, in a, yes, in a in a in a pretty large community in a large city, that name you you only had to say khaki. And I was taken aback. When he was like, who? I said, Craig. He said, oh, I, I, I was just <laughs> amazed. My life, my world was blown. So I'm g- glad I was able to reset and, and establish I you as a legend. I think it's of a certain, of, of a certain generation. Certainly. But I yeah. know if he didn't know you, then that someone there now definitely doesn't know me. So that's what it really was all about. Uh, well, this was all I had uh, hoped for and more. I hope it was good for you, too. I just enjoyed, you know, knowing that you're a listener makes me happy and i got and again you at first were a little apprehensive because you didn't know if i was going to try to burn the place down (laughs) after listening to multiple episodes i'm like wow joe who makes himself out to be so iconoclastic (laughs) is the most reverent towards second city (laughs) any place that doesn't fire me (laughs) uh it goes a long way i think it's just uh Again, because it's the unfin- unfinished business thing that everybody you know, seems true. to have. It's not like I have a chip on my shoulder, but it's also like I've done an, a number of podcasts of like kind of going through my improv, you know, philosophies and yeah. career. And it's usually like Second City takes like two minutes. It's just like, and then you did Second City. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I As did. As if it's just everybody who did Second yeah, City yeah. just does it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I just did it. But there's I did stuff it within for it too. seven years. I mean, we're talking about like the most formative seven years of my life. This yeah. is like age 25 to 32, you know. It like, took it took the greatest attack on the United States since Pearl Harbor to get you out of Second it's the City. The only way to get me out of there. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that, that might be the only way to get you out of here, but hopefully we won't have to settle for something like that. Thank you so much for being with us, uh, and uh, thanks for you listeners for listening. Thanks again for listening to Second Citizens. Make sure you're following our social media to stay up to date with everything going on over here. Our Instagram is at Second Citizens Podcast, and our Twitter is at Second Citizens underscore. And if you have a little extra time, go back and give us a five-star rating and give us a review as well. We'd really appreciate it.